is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome to the Celtic Pride episode of Bad Boys and Beyond. Keith, I watched this movie today. Uh, you, first off, this was your movie that you you've chose. Yeah, and I saw this movie once back in the late '90s, probably early 2000s. So today, as a 37 year old man, I watched it again today. Boy, what a movie! It, Boy, it, is what a movie. it is certainly a movie that was filmed, uh, produced, and released. We, yes. we can agree on that. Uh, we can say that this is, in fact, a motion picture. Yep. <laughs> wow. Um, I, I, I uh, yeah. So that was, I, obviously we're discussing Celtic Pride today, the 1997 film starring the the great, the great legendary Dan Aykroyd and. A man who I think should be legendary is Daniel Stern uh, and also Damon Waynes, who I would also put the legendary tag on as well. Just a great comedian in living color. One of the greatest shows of all time. I agree. Uh, Yes. Should be on a streaming service. I've complained about this before. I don't know why it's not on a streaming service. It's just insane. Uh, This show that broke so much generational talent. You can't watch it anywhere. Uh, yeah, this could easily become the the complaining about why In Living Color isn't on a streaming service episode. But yeah, we're going to get into this movie. There are a couple of things I would like to discuss before we do that. Uh, Keith, Troy Weaver put out an apology to everyone earlier this week. We didn't get a chance to discuss it because uh, we're doing the show a little late this week. Did that apology reach you? And uh, what were your thoughts on it? I can't really call it an apology. It's more of a statement. And really asking Troy Weaver to make any kind of a statement. And I said this on Twitter. You're just begging to be disappointed because Troy Weaver, uh, one of the least charismatic human beings on earth, I, I still don't know whether or not that he's part robot. The jury is out. Mm-hmm. The man simply has no personality. And I say this uh, a little tongue in cheek because I don't care if you have personality. Uh, Brad Holmes, I don't think, has any personality either, and he's running the Detroit Lions extremely well. I I don't think that your GM's job is to win the press conference, just like your head coach. His job isn't to win the press conference either. It's to win games. And Troy Weaver, he's had a very difficult task, and I think he's done an admirable job of finding talent. As I've said on this podcast before, he needs to prove that he can build a team. The last three years maybe weren't the time for him to do that. It is now the time for him to do that because this season was unacceptable to me. Now, look, the the statement was a non-statement. It really didn't say anything. It just boiled down to the season was bad. I am disappointed. We will do better next time. It, it is a nothing statement to me. It, it is the same thing that every single GM in the NBA would put out in a, just a blanket press release, the Associated Press. It, there's just nothing fun or nothing spicy. There's no soundbite in here to hold on to. It's it's just a nothing burger. And I, I don't really care about that because that's I, I understand that's not Troy Weaver's job. Okay. That's fair enough. I I uh I kind of feel the other way about it. I I I I, I kind of appreciated it a little bit. I, I mean I know maybe other GMs have done this before. I'm I've seen the Lions do stuff like this before. Last just last year, when the Lions were one and six, Sheila Ford Hamp came out, um, sort you know, sort of made a statement, apologized a little bit, uh, you know, just kind of said everybody just hang in there. We're we're this is the right, this is going in the right direction. And now here we are, 
months later, and I'm everybody is I don't think anybody's felt this good about the Detroit Lions ever. Um, that includes people who don't even live in Detroit, like just everyone loves this team. The net the national coverage loves this team. Everyone does. Um, which makes me feel a little weird. But it's nice, it's nice to I, I don't know. I don't want to feel as a fan that that my uh problems or my complaints are are going unseen. So it is it is nice to to see that. Thank you. Yeah, I corrected something on my notes and uh because I'm an uh insane person. And Keith gave me the thumbs up. Um so yeah, it, it was nice, it was nice to see that. I I I don't know. I know I know it's a nothing burger you know, it's not like um he he bared his soul and came out and said, Look, I'm sorry, I messed up everybody, this is bad. But I also kind of get it. You know, maybe this statement really wasn't for us. Maybe this was more for the people who I don't know. Cade Cade went down. You know, this team has, you know, James James Edwards put it best on on Bun and Cardigan this earlier uh, earlier this week when he said this team is missing eight NBA players, yeah. uh, and, and has been for a while. I, uh, maybe it's for the people who 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 don't see that. I don't know. I mean, I know it's it, it definitely. I'm with you that they need to build a team. Troy Weaver needs to show that he could do that. That he could build a functional team, not just pick up talent, but. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I get I get why it went so bad. And that, that's some, the one thing in the statement that I actually felt like pushing back on was the use of Kate Cunningham. Look, by by most medical expert reports, that the, the kind of injury that he had was something that could have been taken care of with a few months rest. They chose instead to do season-ending surgery. That decision would not have been made had the team not already been in the toilet uh, by the time they decided that Cade was injured and they needed to do something about it. I don't, I'm not giving him a pay. It's not like he was doing great or the team was uh, looking like a top eight team in the East. And then all of a sudden Cade went down with a freak injury. That's not how any of this went down. He was, he was struggling a little bit on, on that shin. He was slowed down a little bit, but he, he could still play. Yeah. And instead of, Bring, instead of doing the rehab thing and giving leaving out maybe a chance that he could return later in the season, they just decided to go full on tank. And the reason that they did that was because the season was kind of already uh, toast uh, by the time uh, Kate Cunningham. And that that was not not only what a month into the season. So I'm not giving them the Kate Cunningham excuse. I mean, in fact, when that name is brought up, I just get more annoyed uh, because the entire team should not revolve around Kate Cunningham's health. He can be their best player. He can be their franchise player. If he is the only one in that team uh, that can affect winning and losing, then they've done a terrible job building the team. And I don't feel like they have. I, I think the team has been coached poorly this season. I didn't say that in past seasons. I think the team's been managed poorly. And I think they they brought in you know, players that didn't necessarily fit and they kept some players around that didn't necessarily fit. I think this season was a total failure across the board and I'm not going to stand for them hiding behind injuries. Uh, every team in the league deals with injuries and load management and everything else. That's, yeah. that's not something new. Uh, a lot of these games missed were self-inflicted by the Pistons because they were actively tanking down the stretch. I, I really don't want to hear any of that. I don't want to hear any excuses for the season. I don't. I, if someone else does, that's fine. That that's not my my cup of coffee. I was okay with the last two years. This year was beneath the standards of how any NBA team should be run. Hey, uh, hey, man, that's the way you feel. That's the way you feel. I I can't combat that, and and I can't I can't really disagree. But uh, well, it's almost over. Uh, by the time some of you listen to this episode, it will be seasons seasons done. It's over on Sunday. And uh, we can all move on with our lives and get ready to see what uh, Troy's got in store for building this team. Let's get some free agents. Let's make sure we get Wembenyana. Let's uh, let's get it done. But we'll see what happens. Anyways, let's get into the to the movie we we wanted to cover today. Celtic Pride, 1997's Celtic Pride. 96. Uh, oh, excuse me, 1996. I was very surprised to learn that this movie was written, the screenplay was written by Judd Apatow, who is a monster, monster star uh, when it, in the writing and directing world today. 
Um, wow, this is, uh, and you can see a little bit of his apatowisms in this movie, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is a big shocker. I mean, this is a guy that's, I mean, he writes anything today. It usually turns to gold. Yeah, I, I, I can only imagine he wrote the script for this on a dinner napkin, uh, <laughs> just because he was bored at one point, because it just, you're right, you can see a little bit of his personality in it, but at the same time, there's not a whole lot of cleverness to this plot. It, it is a basic, straightforward, um, God, what do you call it? Uh, oddball buddy comedy. It's almost like a buddy comedy, even yeah. though it is. But I sort of, it, there's nothing really groundbreaking as, as far as the material goes. I'm sorry. I sort of get what they're trying to do. They're trying to make some sort of social commentary on fanaticism um, and, and, uh, and, and maybe some of the, um, the way that athletes, uh, at least at that time were um, becoming more, uh, what am I trying to say? You know, they were getting into more endorsements. They were getting into, you know, there was a lot, a lot going on, I guess, at that time. I mean, I think they're trying to make yeah. a comment commentary on fanaticism and the way that athletes were, uh, becoming more like what they are today. I mean, you know, uh, you can't, you can't turn, like they said, you can't turn the TV on without seeing LeBron James or, yeah, uh, you know, somebody like that. It's just, that's just kind of the way that sports are now. And it, it almost, the, it almost turns into a commentary on Stockholm syndrome because there's, <laughs> a, there are absolutely no consequences None. Uh, in this movie. Uh, for the, all the horrible things that our main cast uh, does, there's just at the end there's just no consequences. The, the only people that get screwed over are a, a Boston cop and the Boston Celtics. And that Boston cop doesn't really get that screwed over. I mean, he, nothing happens to him. He, he loses some money on a t-shirt uh, scheme. Yeah, but dirty cop. He, he loses a lot of money though because he. Yeah. Well, we'll get into it, but yeah, he. He purchases all of these T-shirts that no one's going to want. Uh, so this movie has a eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Keith tried to put it up against uh, my Academy Award-winning film Eddie uh, earlier, but Eddie has a sixteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and uh, they're both bad. Let's leave it at that. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, this one's bad. Ro- Eddie is actually pretty good, I think, and uh, we'll cover that eventually. And I will fight anyone to the death uh, when they talk about. The movie uh, Eddie, starring the great Whoopi Goldberg and Malik Seeley and Rick Fox. I mean, it's an all-star cast. Franklin Jell is in that movie. He played Skeletor. Uh, anyhow, um, so yeah, before before we really get into the plot, I, I, this movie does one of the things that I hate so much about sports movies uh, in the eighties, nineties, two thousands, today. Why you know th- this movie and Angels in the Outfield really come to 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 mind? There's always these clumsy idiots, uh, just goofy players on these professional yeah. teams. How did they get there? How like it just well, takes me out of it right away. Like Matthew McConaughey and Angels in the Outfield is running into walls. There's this guy in this movie wearing a mask who's like you know falling all over the place, and they act like well, that's because uh, he had a concussion. Uh, I know, but they act like Lewis Scott has never passed the ball ever. It's like these little yeah. weird things that just like it kind of takes me out of like you could do comedy without without trying to act like these uh, these foolish, clumsy, uh, sometimes almost always foreign players who don't speak there English. That's what I'm <laughs> uh, like they, it's a stereotype. Could, it's a big stereotype. And this it's, guy, this guy who's playing the clumsy foreign guy. Also plays the clumsy forward guy in The Six Man, uh, another movie that we will eventually cover, which is starring another Wayne's brother. Wow, there's maybe there's some sort of connection there, but yes, it's it's super weird. Like you could do it without this, you could still be funny without these things. Yeah, this, and this was kind of the this is the most '90s part about this whole movie to me. Because the the early '90s is when Europeans were finally starting to make their way into the NBA, and they were kind of looked at as this big joke. Uh, other than one or two guys, it, they were just uh, tall guys that were there to take up space, which was not ever true. But this was the stereotype, and that's the one thing this uh, this movie has in common with the movie Eddie is the the really tall, 
white uh, Eastern Bloc player uh, with a name that no one can pronounce that it, is, it has no idea how to play the game and they need Americans to tell them uh, how to be tough. It's, it's very stereotypically offensive. It's of its time. It's how people perceive European players then, but it, it was wrong then. And as you can imagine, uh, almost 30 years later, it has aged very, very poorly. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, Keith, why don't you, why don't you kick us off with the, the plot? Let's get, get us, get us started with this. Oh, this, the, this the plot is, uh, pretty straightforward. A couple of lifelong Celtics fans uh, with just hilarious Boston names, um, speaking of stereotypes, uh, Jimmy Flaherty, uh, played by Dan Aykroyd, and Mike O'Hara, played <laughs> by Daniel Stern. I swear it. Every if every movie was about Boston, uh, you would swear everyone in Boston was named either Flaherty or O'Hara. It's, Sully. How much? What are the most basic Irish last names we can come up with? <laughs> but in any case, uh, uh, these two lifelong Celtics fans who are at a kind of a middle-aged uh crisis in their lives uh they somehow uh are, are, have enough money to afford uh middle section lower bowl tickets at the end uh, nba finals uh for the boston celtics uh one of them being a uh, fl- uh dan Aykroyd plays a plumber and daniel stern plays a uh looks like an elementary school gym teacher and in any case uh their plot uh it, the game starts out uh they have tickets to game six the celtics are up three to two in the nba finals the 1995 nba finals mind you and the irony here is that the 90s to this day is still the only decade where the celtics never made the nba finals it was by far the worst uh, decade for celtics basketball and in the finals, the Celtics are playing the Utah Jazz, who at the time of this uh, filming of this movie had never <laughs> appeared in an NBA finals in their history. So I guess they made a good generic bad guy. I don't know. I guess they 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 looked at all the NBA teams and said, okay, well, if Utah Jazz fans get annoyed at us, that'll cause us the least amount of problems. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, the the Utah Jazz are led by a singular star, uh, Lewis Scott, played by Damon Wayans. And I, I, someone comments, uh, I think uh, Michael Harris, no, Jimmy Flaherty comments that he, he averages about 50 shots a game, which is just about impossible. <laughs> I think Wilt may have done that once. But uh, yeah, basically he, he takes every shot and never passes. And he does, has kind of a, a commercial spoof of Charles Barkley where you know he says, I'm not a role model. He has this bad boy persona to him. Not a hero. And, yep. I don't want to raise your kids. Yeah. <laughs> it was, almost, it was almost a basic copy of that of that commercial. Yeah. And the game starts and they're heckling. Um both Jimmy and Mike are heckling Lewis Scott, and the Celtics are up 15 at halftime. It looks like they're gonna win the championship. And then uh Lewis Scott catches fire in the second half and erases the lead, and then the Jazz win at the buzzer. And well, and this is the weird thing is the plot is still being developed at this point. <laughs> Even after game one of the, uh, or after game six of the NBA finals, we're still getting into what the actual uh, plot point is, but they're, they're still sitting in their seats uh, in an empty Boston garden, uh, which by the way, and I, I forgot to mention this. Uh, if you, if you watch this movie when they're tipping off game six, if you if you pause at the tip, it's the it's the signature uh, tip side uh, shot of two players and then the jump ball uh, to yeah. begin a, a, an NBA game. If you pause it and look at the right side of the screen, the seats are totally empty in an NBA Finals game. I I don't know how they missed that in post production or if they thought they couldn't fix it, uh, but you can see all the extras they had crammed into the middle uh, middle and le- uh, left sections and then the upper bolt the the right side seats. There's not a person sitting in them. I, I think they just blew the shot. They didn't realize that they, they got too much of the of the screen. Uh, but in any case, uh, Jimmy and Mike are sitting. I'm sorry. 
I, 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 I'd like to talk about this game just for a second. Okay, go for it. Uh, so, um, well, first off, they do this thing. Do you have any sports superstitions? Do you, no, do and you... I blame this movie for it, to be quite honest with you. Because I, because of what you're about to get into, I sort of I sort of do a little bit, but um, you know, like I, if <laughs> like especially during the Lions season, that's when my sports superstitions really come out. You know, I'll wear this shirt week one, and if they win, I'll wear it again week two. That sort of thing, and and I'll wear shoes basically. Um, but they do this weird thing. This takes it to the max, man. They sit down and they're like, Oh wait, this is an even game. It's game six. Uh, so we need to get up and switch seats. And the rest of the crowd is like, Oh, thank God. Like, like the whole, you know, the whole, not just these guys are superstitious. The entire uh, arena is superstitious and their superstitions, uh, sort of rely on these two guys superstitions. It's a really weird thing where they, they sort of uh, lead their section in uh, in in what to do and and I, I don't know I just I I and I, I wondered if if there were any superstitions you had but uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on is there's a a Boston Celtics player uh, the player's name is Terry Kirby this guy is played by an actor named Keith Gibbs now Keith I don't know if you are as big of a movie buff as I am. But I see this guy all the time. Do you want to know why I see him all the time? Because he is essentially basketball player number two in every single basketball movie you've ever seen. He's in the air up there. He's in Blue Chips. He's in Forget Paris. He's in Celtic Pride. He plays basketball player in The Cable Guy. He's in The Six Man. He's in Basketball. Like... I mean, he's, he's even in a video game, Slam City with Scotty Dunn. Yeah. What a <laughs> filmography that this guy has. It is unbelievable. Um there is actually a uh a ringer article that I recommend everyone uh, checks out. I can't remember what it's called or who wrote it. I think it was um I can't remember. Anyways, I would go look that up where the, the, the ringer does an article with Keith Gibbs and he talks about among other things that, that slam video game with, with Scotty Pippen and just how he kept getting all these roles as a basketball player. I mean, he looks like a basketball player. He looks like a college, uh, a, a college. Uh, he looks like Chris, Christian, um, uh, Leitner. Sorry. He looks like Christian Leitner, essentially. Uh, it, it's insane. Um, I just had to bring that up because I noticed. No, I today, honestly didn't know that. That was interesting. I didn't next, realize he was in every one of those movies until you showed me. The next time you watch this movie, you'll see this guy and then watch any of those other movies. He, he pops up. You see him like he's very prominent in every single one of those basketball movies. Um, but, yeah, I had to bring that up. Um, so so it, after game six, uh Jimmy and Mike are, are sitting in an MB Boston garden, uh, presumably hours after the game ends, because at one point, uh, Jimmy gets a call on his uh, brick-sized uh, cell phone from 1995. It's the 90s. And it's a couple of his friends that are bartenders at, at, at uh, a local Boston club, and they say it, they're telling him that uh, Lewis Scott is there and he's partying it up. So at this point, we get into the main plot, which is Jimmy and Mike uh, plotting their revenge against Lewis Scott, which is not as quite as dark as I'm making it sound, but it's still pretty messed up. And then you, you know, this is the Celtic pride. This is where the movie kicks off. There's um, just another thing that I, I just, I, I noticed here. Uh, it, you see this a lot in Boston movies where like half the actors are trying Boston accents and the other half are not. Uh, this is very clearly Dan Aykroyd with, you know, like at the beginning, he said, he said to Daniel Stern, I think I'm going to do the Boston accent. Canadian Dan Aykroyd. Mind yeah. Me. And you, and you, and who says, sorry, uh, and a few times and you can see that Canadian just popping right out of his mouth there. Uh, Maybe Daniel Stern was like, you know, maybe he tried it on day one and was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do it at all. I'm just going to I'm not going to be a Boston person at all. Neither is his wife or his kid. Uh, the police officer does the Definitely. 
Yeah, the police officer is definitely an Irish cop, uh, generic yeah. Irish cop guy. Yeah, you know, he says stuff like bizarre and you know and, and things like that. But it's I always think it's funny. Yeah, like half half the people try are trying it, and the other half aren't. Yeah. So, uh, I, what is what's the club called? The Rocks. Uh, anyway, uh, Jimmy and Mike they they go to the Rocks. They they see uh, Lewis Scott. And then they hatch this this plot to get him so hammered to, to befriend him and get him so hammered that he's too hungover to play well for game seven, which is weird because there's, you know, there's a couple of days in between. Right. Uh, he mentions that he has to go to practice the next day. Yeah, which from what we're told, he almost never goes to practice anyway uh, <laughs> because he's a selfish jerk. So it, it, you're not really messing up his whole itinerary. I, if, if he goes to clubs this often... Do you think he's kind of used to being hung over the day yeah. after? I, I, I'm not seeing the, the great logic of this plan here. Uh, in any case, I'm sorry. Lewis Scott's not the only NBA great they, they see in that club, though. Yes. They see Mr. Larry Bird yeah. there as well. Go ahead. Yep. So they, 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 they befriend him by defending him against uh, a couple of rowdy Celtics fans that want to insult him. And, and apparently that's all it takes for an NBA superstar to to – see you as uh potential friends so he introduces his new friends uh lewis scott does to <laughs> larry bird who also happens to be clubbing uh late at night after an nba finals game <laughs> i wish i'm sure something out there that constantly. doesn't say larry bird that's yeah, about I know. <laughs> so so larry bird of course uh he 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 talks both of them down uh, for for turning on the Celtics because they made the comment that oh the Celtics were great when you were here but you know they're they're just not the same anymore. Keep in mind they're in the middle of the NBA Finals right now. They're one away one way away from another NBA championship. But we have to make it seem like Celtics fans are are oppressed in this time of the 1990s. So yeah, it it kind of breaks them uh, in a comical way. So. They go overboard with their drinking, and which is according to plan. And it's almost like uh, that movie, The Hangover, where there's just so much drinking and partying that there, no one knows what happened the night before. And that's kind of what happens to them, where they wake up the next morning and they're in, um, they're in Jimmy's place, and all three of them are there, and Lewis Scott is. Um, He's duck. He's tied up. Uh, his wrists are tied with duct tape, which it, it, it would have made more sense if they were just there because they the, they never plotted to kidnap the guy. They just wanted to get him hung over, and then they all get into a cab and they they black out and they wake up the next day. They're at Jimmy's place. Well, if, if you're that uh, hammered, <laughs> how how are you? Why is uh, why is one of your uh, buddies uh, tied up in duct tape? I mean, when was that part of the plan? Right. Uh, but in any case, this is where the 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 main act of the movie takes off. Yeah, I can't say that I've ever gotten drunk enough to uh, <laughs> where we started duct taping somebody. Duct taping or, drinking buddy, yeah. Yeah, I certainly never duct taped and kidnapped an NBA player. I, I can tell you that much. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I'm looking at my notes here, and I, and I think that maybe there's some parallels between Keith Black Trudeau. And Dan Aykroyd's character. <laughs> wait, wait, excuse me. Yes, sir. Uh, I think maybe there's some parallels uh, because, you know, he is like this uh, sports genius in this movie who knows like every statistic and every single thing about uh, uh, basketball. And it just reminds me of you. Uh, I don't know every statistic about everything, though. He was bringing up... Uh, hmm. Daniel, uh, Daniel Stern's character, uh, Mike O'Hara, he was bringing up his his wrestling statistics in high school. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember everything. I, no, I you have, don't know that. I have an encyclopedic knowledge about uh, basketball and NBA basketball in particular. But if you ask me who won the Olympic uh, bronze medal for fencing in 1976, I wouldn't have the clue. I, I oh. don't. I my my knowledge is limited to a basic scope. <laughs> now I, I am not. <laughs> 
I, I do appreciate though that he has a Pistons dartboard. Uh, yes, in his office. Yes, I saw that right up, right on the, uh, the the wall. And I look for anything right. Lakers, uh, any anything Lakers specific. The the Pistons were the only other NBA team with any uh, paraphernalia in his in his office. Even if it was a dartboard, I think that was kind of uh, funny. So since I found some, albeit faint comparisons between Dan Aykroyd's character and Keith Black Trudeau. Keith. Also, I'm not a plumber. No, you're not a plumber. Not yet. You could be. You never know where your life will take you. You could be a plumber in your 50s. Who knows? Might come up. It, it, it took me about two weeks to fix my own toilet. I am okay. not, yeah. not a tool in my bag. No, I am also not a plumber, nor am I an electrician. Uh, but if you needed to, or not needed to, if you were, let's just play, or having fun, hypothetical, in the 90s, if you were going to kidnap an NBA player to prevent them from hurting the Pistons, who would an NBA player have been? I think I think I probably already know the answer, but who would it have what, been? What, in the 90s? 90s, 2000s. What, what, all right, I have no idea. What, That's what Michael Jordan, you... right? You'd be kidnapping Michael Jordan, wouldn't you? No, I'd be dead, but sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you don't kidnap the world's most famous athlete. No. Uh, especially at gunpoint, which these two characters do once they figure out that they have him and now they're scared of, of getting arrested. All of a sudden they have to lean into the kidnapping part and uh, Jimmy pulls out a gun. Which, I know I don't know much about guns, but that thing is a musket, right? That's like an old war relic. Well, gun. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a musket, but yeah, it's an old time. Yeah, they try to make it comical because it's like a collector piece, but it still works. Like he he nearly he accidentally shoots it at one point because uh, Louis, Louis Scott just doesn't believe that he's actually going to shoot him, and then he pulls the trigger and accidentally shoots the the uh, Bill Buckner baseball that's behind him and yeah this, this, i i could see where this was funny at one point but when you're pulling out a, a gun then it it's just turning into a dark comedy and there's no way to avoid it and they still the worst thing about this movie is they still play it off like like this is cute like no you're you're holding a gun to somebody this isn't cute anymore for much of the movie yes um, I also like, like, could, like, like in the movie The Hangover. Did anyone pull out a gun? Uh, I, I, I don't think so. Well, they, they were, uh, there were like, uh, there was like a, mobsters. A, a mobsters. Yeah, they were. Yeah, mobsters. but that yeah. was. I'm not talking about like the main cast. Like, the, oh the no, mobsters no, no, no. Are supposed to be bad guys. Right. I'm sorry. Go on. Um, the. Uh... Oh man, I got thrown off. I, I'm not sure what I was. I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, maybe it'll come back to me. Um. Okay, so basically, their 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 whole plan, Jimmy and Mike's plan, is to just keep Lewis Scott there until after Game Seven. Which, by the way, uh, NBA superstar goes conspicuously absent uh, between Game Six and Seven. They are going to postpone Game Seven. And I, I mean, if there if there is like a missing persons report out on the the star of the Utah Jazz prior to Game Seven, they are not playing Game Seven. They're going to figure out what happened to him first. That's super uh, weird, though. It's almost as if there isn't. It's like nobody, you know, the well, only, yeah, it seems like the only pe- people that know he's missing is the team who are wondering when he's going to show up to this practice or if he's going to show up to the game. It's like nobody's nobody's thought to wonder where Lewis Scott is for the last couple of days. Well, I guess because the narrative they, they keep pushing in the movie is that he's a jerk and that he doesn't always come to practice. And this isn't because the coach even says, uh, why would I be worried uh, it's not like this is the first time he's pulled this, but I I would think if if your if your star player is missing practice the day before Game Seven of the NBA Finals, you might want to at least I don't know try to figure out if he's still in his hotel room, uh, ask if he came home that night to his hotel room, like just ask basic questions just to make yeah. sure that nothing serious has gone wrong, uh, like like if Game Seven tips off and he's still not in the building, I I think it's safe to assume that. Something happened to the man. I don't think they would just, bro- oh, yeah, he's not here. He just decided not to show up today at the, the, the biggest night of his life. I, I, I Maybe it's just me. I, I think that there would have been some alarm bells rung at some point. But I, I think what's funnier is the, the coach's comment 
uh, <laughs> that Grant Hill wouldn't have wouldn't have pulled this. Grant Hill would have gone to church and come to practice early. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Grant, friend of the show, Grant Hill. Everybody, gotta gotta love it. Two two Pistons, uh, two Detroit Pistons references in the movie Celtic Pride. Uh, despite being uh, one of the worst teams in the league, we we continue to live rent free in their heads. Love it. Um, so, uh, the other thing I, you know, so so they're so they're sitting there with uh, with um, gosh, why do I keep forgetting is they're sitting there with Lewis Scott. There's a really uh, hypocritical moment here uh where they're 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 going they play this game they say all right uh you do all these endorsements for the money or or whatever what have you um back in my day athletes didn't used to do this and what about the blah 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 and the greats and the greats and if i bet if we turn the tv on right now we'll see you and if we and if we don't we'll let you go and they switched every channel and sure enough there's there's damon waynes playing a a, a cartoon hot dog for oscar meyer wiener what about Larry Bird's endorsements? Yeah. Larry Larry Bird uh, was endorsed by Converse. Larry Bird was in uh, one of the biggest ad campaigns of all time with uh, the Big Mac, with the off the wall, off the ceiling, off the highway, nothing but net, like him and Michael Jordan. Like Larry Bird did a ton of commercials and, and endorsements uh, i mean it's it's uh i'm i know it's just a comedy movie but i get that's another thing that's like that kind of throws you off a little bit yeah the, the suspension of disbelief is pretty high here because larry bird was not only doing a lot of national commercials he, was, he did a lot of local stuff in boston that you can still see on youtube where he's endorsing restaurants and the like uh i they're supposed to be in boston so if they're in boston i think they would have seen larry bird on tv constantly uh, maybe not in 1995 but at least during the 80s it, it would have it kind of points out their hypocrisy uh which the movie does anyway because they're talking about a their favorite uh what is it uh, uh strong strong not, man or yeah, yeah logger or something. Yeah, yeah they're talking about their favorite guy how he wouldn't be hawking um merchandise because he's doing it for the love of the game which is crap uh, for anybody to say that but in the very next, uh, as soon as they hit commercial break, he's, he's hawking a chainsaw. So there's there's just no, yeah, there's no escaping it. The, the only difference is that, that some athletes are sought after by many, many commercial brands to be their uh, pitch man. And some athletes just get one endorsement deal. Uh, that's really, that's really the only difference is that some athletes actually get more opportunity to be on TV more often. There's but also... There's also a Larry Bird Miller Light poster that comes into frame multiple times in this movie. Uh, what's your uh, since since we're bringing up sports endorsements? What's your favorite Pistons endorse endorsement moment? Because for me, it's got to be Grant Hill and Sprite. That, that I enjoyed all of that stuff. Do you have anything better? Yeah, yeah, the 1987 um, Detroit Pistons Dunham's commercial. I've never seen it. Oh God! It was one of uh, I, I posted it on Twitter a couple of times. Oh man! Uh, I gotta pull that up. Yeah, it, it's they basically it was just supposed to be Isaiah Thomas and I think um, Chuck Daly uh, pitching for Dunham Sporting Goods in Detroit. But yep, there it is. Let's see what happens. But you're not a Rockefeller or the Howard Hughes. Well, the Dunhams you can find what you have in mind. And it won't put your budget in overtime. Be a winner in Adidas Conductor Highs. Worn by Pro Patrick Ewing, these top quality Adidas all other basketball shoes oh. feature traction sole. My God. No, no, you, you go to the end. But you're not a Rockefeller or the Howard Hughes. Well, the Dunhams are the biggest. The prices are the best. At D-U-N-H-A-M-S. Yeah. That is the greatest yeah, so, so, commercial yeah, that ever the story, existed. The story behind that commercial is I think it was just supposed to be Chuck Daly or maybe oh, Chuck right. Daly and Isaac Thomas, but they shot it in the Silver Dome after a practice, and a lot of the other players wanted it in, so they just said, yeah, why not? And they it, they turned it into a like an ensemble commercial. But, yeah, it, as cheesy as that is, I, I think, you know, watching Bill Ambeer lip sync to a, a hip-hop uh, commercial 
slogan is just priceless. And Chuck Nevin in, in there at the end, I mean, how, how can you get a better uh, commercial? I have yet to see one. You got to love it. You got, and, and I never thought I would see Chuck Nevitt dance a little bit. That's, that was an interesting, interesting thing there, but uh, so uh, yeah, Keith, tell us, tell us, tell us what happens next. So towards the end, uh, Lewis Scott kind of makes his getaway and is, he, he sees a police officer and the police officer, he, he's he's yelling at him for help. And the police officer being a buddy of Jimmy and Mike, uh, he knows, he understands uh, what they're trying to do. They're trying to kidnap Lewis Scott. So he essentially uh, walks away and turns his back on, on the uh, NBA player being kidnapped, chased by two middle-aged white men, one of them holding a gun. Like, that is dark. Yeah, that is pretty dark. <laughs> that, is, that is really, really, really dark. It's played for laughs, and it's just not funny. It's just, it comes off as pretty evil. Uh, but in any case, so they're they're driving him back, and what was it? Uh, Lewis Scott plays some, plays some mind games with Mike, uh, who is a former, he supposedly was a, a former basketball player in high school or community college or something, and then he hurt his knee and he couldn't play again, so he he kind of plays to his ego and gets him to to challenge Lewis Scott one on one, which is idiotic. But he he gets him to to allow he gets him to agree to play uh, Lewis one on one for Lewis's freedom, which again just very very tone deaf in twenty twenty three. In any case, yeah. I, one thing I found kind of weird here uh, is that look. I don't think Damon Wayans pulls off a terrible impression of an athlete, but Damon Wayans being 6'2 and Daniel Stern being like 6'5, uh, you're looking at the, one of the robbers from Home Alone essentially like towering over this guy that's supposed to be averaging 30 points of the Utah Jazz, and it kind of just destroys all the disbelief right there because an NBA, uh, an NBA superstar probably shouldn't be being outsized uh, quite that quite that much uh but the, the game goes exactly how you would expect uh lewis scott just mocks and destroys him he's an nba athlete he she should be doing that against um just a random fan and i think that that kind of pokes a little bit at the the amount of fans you see on social media that that somehow think that they're good enough to play in the nba or that they could compete with nba players uh, as Brian Scalabrini has shown us, no, no, you cannot. You were, you were in, Brian Scalabrini is closer to LeBron James than you are to him, uh, and that is not a lie. Uh, they they do this other sort of thing during that game that uh, you see this in movies sometimes. Maybe, look, I don't know if Damon Wayne's is a good basketball player or not. I, I think that he he certainly had some uh, athletic a bit, like he looked like he he could. He could fake athletic ability, but did you notice that every time he was taking a shot, they never showed whether or not the ball went yep. in or yeah. like, I just thought yeah. that was weird. It, it was kind of like, um, like if you, if you go back and watch white men can't jump, one of the things from behind the scenes is that Wesley Snipes was not a good basketball player. So a lot of his scenes are in slow motion uh, because he's just he just wasn't that great of an athlete, uh, or so it's it's just it's just weird. Why not get a go get an athlete? Why why wasn't this Carl Malone or or God? Never mind. Why yeah, wasn't I, this... I don't think I don't think them kidnapping Carl Malone would be believable. No. Why wasn't this uh, you know I don't know a different NBA player? Like why wasn't this Grant Hill, for example? Why <laughs> this should have been uh, who who has some acting experience on In Living Color. Uh, it should have been it. I don't know. It should have been Charles Barkley or something like that. It would have been a much funnier movie. Yeah, but the inherent problem is that NBA players are are, are much much larger human beings uh, than yeah. than most of the rest of us, and to to think that they'd allow themselves to be held back by some duct tape. Yeah, there was a gun involved, but still, like, yeah, I, I don't know how believable that would be. Uh, having like a six foot eight, two hundred and forty pound human being, you know, tied up and you know, with a little bit of duct tape by a couple of uh, middle-aged men. I just, I, I get it, but I, I think that would have kind of killed it a little bit. I, I, I get that I just 
got done saying Damon Wayans uh, is a little bit too small to be a believable NBA player, but there's got to be some middle ground in between. Muggsy Bogues. They should have kidnapped Muggsy Bogues. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That would have been an interesting one. There's another guy with acting experience. Uh, so after uh, Lewis predictably beats uh, uh, Mike O'Hara, is his name Mike O'Hara? Yeah, is I believe Mike? his name is Mike O'Hara. Uh, oh, so Mike O'Hara, Detroit Lions uh, beat writer. Um, so after he beats Detroit Lions beat writer Mike O'Hara, he 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 doesn't he gets away with with his freedom, but he doesn't think to automatically turn these guys into the police as anyone 99.99999% of people would have done. He instead decides to punish them by making them go to game seven, wearing Utah jazz jerseys uh, and forcing them to cheer for him uh, and the Utah jazz. And if the Utah jazz win the NBA championship, uh, both Mike and Jimmy go uh, do not go to prison. He doesn't say anything. And if, if the Celtics win the championship, well, then they're going to prison. Kind of a yeah. weird... Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and this is where I brought up, like, the, the movie almost becomes a commentary on Stockholm Syndrome because the guy that was kidnapped at gunpoint is, throughout the movie, he's he's still becoming friends with uh, Jimmy and Mike. Like, yeah. This is not something that would happen in real life. Uh, they are holding the man against his will, threatening his life, and trying to destroy the greatest day of his uh, pro career, which he presumably has worked his entire life for. Uh, he would not be getting to know and like, and like these would not be his actual friends. Uh, he would look at them with disgust and, and fear and and disdain, probably. Uh, but no, in this movie, it's um, now we, yeah, you kidnapped me, but you know, we had some laughs, and he kind of gives them a chance for redemption. Uh, it's almost like a it's less that they're being blackmailed. It's almost like they lost a bet. Like this is something like you would do to a buddy uh, if they lost a major bet with you on something. Yeah, put on the other team's uniform and you have to cheer for them for a day. Like this is not something you do to somebody uh, if they kidnap you at gunpoint. Uh, this is not an appropriate punishment. Right. This is what happens to the last place guy in the fantasy league. You know. This yes. Is like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but well, anyways. <laughs> Um, Shooter McGavin, co- head coach Shooter McGavin, is uh, very upset because Lewis Scott has not shown up yet, and he's going to have to play the uh, the the um, the foreign player who uh, you know keeps telling him he's got the stuff, he's got the good stuff. Uh, you know, this guy for some reason is on the team, but apparently never ever plays. I, I oh, somehow another... made the NBA without having any actual yeah. skills. It's another sports thing I just cannot understand. Uh, sports movie thing um then finally lewis shows up and this i think was the funniest part of the movie where the coach decides all right oh i'm gonna make an example out of out of lewis you know what you're you're hitting the bench for this game uh he puts the foreign guy in it's the game seven you know you got to show these guys who's what's what and and before the tip even happens uh he changes his mind and put lewis in yeah this this is the most realistic part of the movie for yes me. Absolutely. Because I think Eddie if, if LeBron James was somehow missing, uh, conspicuously absent from practice prior to game seven of the finals, and he showed up just before tip off, um, yeah, they would start him anyway. Because, oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> this is not something that would have uh, happened. Uh, he, he, would, he would probably have been yelled at, especially if he, he missed uh, practice for. But at the end of the day, you're, you're running a business. Uh, this is your franchise player. He is going to play because you're just screwing over the entire franchise by not playing him. Right. So you have to get your, uh, you have to dole out your punishment some other way. I, I thought this was kind of funny like you, and in, this is probably the most close to realistic, realistic thing that would have happened in this movie. I feel like the, uh, unlike the game itself, which is a joke, but go yeah. on. I feel like the end result of this movie was really uh, telegraphed. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was pretty obvious that the Utah Jazz were going to win this game. The Celtics that go up ahead, you know, they're up by, I think, 14 points at the half. Um, and then, you know, then it gets, then it gets, then it gets weird. Then, then almost the, the two guys, they started to get a little stock homie. What's up? What you got, Keith? 
All right. Well, just the beginning, I just wanted to point out a couple of things that, that I thought it was cute at the beginning of the game, uh, how they, how both Jimmy and Mike show up in, in full Utah jazz gear, which I don't know how you just suddenly get that in Boston. Like right. how, how were they able to get on, on a very short notice, uh, like Utah jazz jerseys and shirts and pins and flags. Like they have the whole ensemble, uh, but how they explained it away to everyone else in the crowd that obviously, you know, want, want, they want to know what the hell is going on. And they, they explained all, all the time we were the bad luck guys. So we're going to cheer for Boston as hard as we can, which I thought was pretty clever. Uh, that was one of the few things in this movie I thought was pretty cleverly written. Uh, but the second half of that is uh, at halftime, uh, there's a, uh, they draw a random seat number and that, oh, I'm sorry, go on. No, no, finish your, finish your point. Oh, but there is they draw a random way. seat number at halftime. And the thing, this is the last game because Boston Garden was demolished after the 1995 season. So this theoretically is the last uh, basketball game ever played in the Boston Garden, which they make a point of um, repeating that to the audience uh, in the movie. And at halftime, they draw up a random seat number and whoever's sitting in that seat gets to shoot a half court shot for, I forget, was it money? I, I don't even remember. A hundred thousand dollars. A hundred thousand dollars. And it, it, it winds up being uh, uh, Jimmy, not Mike, uh, Jimmy, the, the Dan Aykroyd, who's playing the, the portly middle-aged uh, plumber who probably has never played competitive sports in his life, even though he has a love of it. He's just not athletic. So, and, and Bob Cousy, uh, Bob Cousy gets yet another cameo. He has Bob Cousy's in multiple movies in 1996. Yeah. Uh, this movie and uh, Blue, Blue Chips. Chips. Yeah. Yep. So, Dan Aykroyd essentially shoots the ball like a bowling ball, like <laughs> underhanded. <laughs> and the funny thing is, like, the whole crowd doesn't know. Like, they explained away their Utah Jazz jerseys to the, the people in their section that knew them. But obviously, once he gets out, once he walks out into center court with a jazz uniform on, it's because they all start booing him. No one knows that. No, no one else understands. So he's getting booed in the Boston Garden uh, with Bob Cousy sitting, standing next to him. But the the end result is, yeah, he shoots the the basketball like a bowling ball, which I'm assuming is the only way Dan Aykroyd can throw a basketball that far, and the ball goes in, <laughs> and he, he wins a lot of money. Uh, which presumably presumably they will need for their defense at the trial. Uh, so yeah, we go into the second half, and which is weird because they were the, the Jazz were getting killed in the first half of Game Six, and they came back and won just because Lewis Scott started making shots. But apparently, they no one remembers Game Six. They just figure he's going to keep missing shots. So uh, Dan Aykroyd's or excuse me, uh, Daniel Stern's character. Uh, Mike starts yelling at Lewis Scott, who apparently can hear him while he's on the court in an NBA Finals game. He can hear him from the stands yelling at him to pass the ball, which, God, this this was just a big face palm moment because you're an NBA superstar and no one has ever told you to pass the ball before. That This was probably the worst part of the movie for me. Like, this is the most cliche thing I've ever seen in any sports movie ever. Yeah, it's it, it it it's pretty interesting. Um, they get a little Stockholmy themselves, though. I I thought because you oh, know, you mean the, so, yeah, Jimmy yeah, and Mike. Yeah. Suddenly they suddenly they they're like really cheering on you know uh, the Lewis and the Jazz. They really you know they they I, I I don't know. I don't feel like the movie did uh, uh did it well enough to convince me that these guys were actually starting to like each other. But I just thought it was weird that, you know, Daniel Stern is on, on he's in the crowd and he's giving Lewis advice and, and Lewis is, you know, heeding this advice. I just, and then there are suddenly friends after the, after yeah. the game. I, I just don't feel like the movie did a good enough job to make me believe that they were at any point starting to get along or starting to see each other eye to eye. I, I don't know. I thought it was weird. But no, you're 100 percent right. Like when I when I say it's a commentary on Stockholm syndrome, I meant all three characters. Like they don't like him. He doesn't like it. It turns into it, it's a weird buddy comedy movie yeah. with a very twisted sense of how they become buddies. 
and yeah, you're right. To they it, it, it's almost like they're telling themselves they're rooting for him because they they don't want to go to jail. But it, it becomes very clear by the end of the movie they're genuinely rooting for him. They're root uh, to to win the NBA championship over their the the Boston Celtics, who they they uh, pledged their lifelong uh, allegiance to. <laughs> it's just a sudden. And you're right; it, it's not sold at all. There's, there's none of this is earned. Uh, from from Lewis uh, seeing Jimmy and Mike as friends to Jimmy and Mike seeing Lewis as, as a friend, like none of this is earned. And it's it's very it's pretty sudden, and it, it's very it it takes you out of the movie just a little bit. Just just the cliche; it, it's not written very well. Yeah. With all due respect to Judd Apatow, it's just not. I, I think he. I'm, I'm guessing he would agree with that too. Yeah, he he clearly got much better as he as he got older and uh, wiser in his career. But uh, yeah, the Jazz win the NBA championship. Uh, both the guys are somehow allowed on the court. Yeah, uh, that was, how are they, they? What are they doing in the middle of championship <laughs> celebration? Right, the Jazz won the championship, and a couple of random fans with no passes of any kind right. are able to just waltz down from the stands onto the middle of the floor. And no one else knows who they are other than Lewis Scott. And they're celebrating with Lewis Scott, who is the star of the, presumably the finals MVP. And this game is, the, the cameras are probably still on at this point. So, like, is no one asking, like, on TV, who these other two randos are with jazz jerseys <laughs> next to Lewis Scott? <laughs> like, I, this, none of this makes sense to me. I could tell you from experience, and uh, maybe it's changed over the years, but as somebody who has press credentials and has been in NFL stadiums, my credentials are being checked like every five minutes somebody wants to see my pass. Like, you know, and they do that with every single person. No If you're about to enter a room or if you're walking down a hallway that they think you might not, shouldn't be in, or if I go to the bathroom and come back, someone's checking my press credentials. Uh you like we're not even allowed on the field as press members we're not even allowed on the field there's no way just two guys from the crowd could just walk without getting absolutely tackled by boston police (laughs) it's just funny yeah Um, and and somehow the the boston cop is also on the floor yeah because he and that this was the other crux of it which we forgot to to mention is he saw the 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 kidnapping and he assumed that Lewis Scott was going to miss game seven. So he bought, I, I guess the, they could have just said he placed a big wager on the game, but that would have been too inappropriate. So instead he bought, I don't know, 10,000 uh, Boston Celtics championship t-shirts uh, that, that he was planning to sell right after the game, which uh, whatever, but yeah. so he, so he's threatening to have them arrested for kidnapping. If the, if the jazz win so they were kind of screwed either way but he asks straight up uh after the game he asks lewis scott straight up in front of them if if he wants to press charges and lewis oh yeah i know these guys these guys these guys are my buddies and i'm like all right say he even wanted to do that do you think he would really talk like do you realize how much trouble you're in as a law enforcement officer if he get if he testifies that you saw the kidnapping happen and you did nothing and you walked away like, do you realize that you would be going to jail along with them? Do you really yes. want to ask him this question? Like, they, did they not realize um, that how that would come off, at least to me? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah um, those guys are going to go to jail, but the, the cop that allowed it to happen isn't. No, I'm pretty sure he's he's going to get the handcuffs put on him, him as well. Without a doubt. Well, then, uh, you know, then it goes to uh, seven months later. The uh, our main characters are seen uh, walking through a hallway very quietly, talking about you know uh, this isn't the NBA season, this is the NFL season. As they walk into Deion Sanders' uh, room uh, with wearing Patriots garb, uh, and then they you know uh, they're gonna they're gonna kidnap Deion Sanders at the end of this movie. Clearly, nothing has been learned. Uh, and uh, they're going to, I don't know, presumably become best friends with Deion Sanders at some point. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, there was no consequences the last time. Yeah, so that's true. What, how could they have learned their lesson? So I, before, you know, that concludes the movie. But before we 
really get out of here. I, 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 I'm going to take a shot at Boston sports fan real quick. There is a post credit scene. Is there? Um, I didn't see it. That. What happens? Um, well, it's not a scene per se. There's no actors in it, but they show the the demolition of the actual Boston Garden at the very end of the, the real demolition. Well, I, I think it's part of the demo. But yeah, they show the Boston Garden being demolished uh, at the end of the movie uh, to this you know club. I, I forget what kind of it, it's a it's it's a typical Irish like this kind of song you play at a wake like like an Irish wake song. Uh, but yeah, they show the actual Boston Garden being demolished at at the very end of the credits as the credits are rolling. Huh. No, I I'll have to go back and watch that. I borrowed this DVD from my uh, from my friend. Shout out. Shout out to my best friend Greg Chica, right? Who listen? Who is a listener? Uh, and thank you for letting me borrow this movie. Uh, but I, I do want to. I want to take a little bit of a. I got maybe a little bit of a shot at Boston sports fans because, um, you know, for so long, you guys portrayed yourselves as these uh, these fans that just you know, couldn't win anything and blah 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 and and I get and maybe for a little bit of time it was like that. But, you know, the Boston Celtics in the fans in this movie are acting like their team hasn't been to a championship series in, in 38 years when less than 10 years ago, you guys were put possibly one of the greatest basketball teams ever on the floor and uh, went to multiple finals. I mean, that 1986 team is one of the greatest teams ever assembled and, and one of the great had one of the greatest seasons of all time. The Patriots... Uh, were on the verge. Um, now, mind you, they they hadn't uh they hadn't once started winning that Super Bowl, but they were they went to the Super Bowl while this movie was shooting. They lost to the Packers, but they at least went there. They also went uh in in eighty six or eighty five, with whatever year the Bears won. Uh, and you know, so the, the Patriots were a or were a good team for a long time. Man. Uh, the the you know I the only team that that Boston sports really has that had an issue for a long time was the Red Sox, and I'll give you that. And when the Red Sox finally won that World Series in 04, I I cheered along with with Boston's fans because I then, thought it was. Then they've won like moment. two or three more since though. Right, and then they've won a bunch of other ones since. And I think the Bruins, you know, I don't pay much attention to hockey uh, since you know the hockey town days, but I think the Bruins have recently won a Stanley Cup or mm-hmm. two. Uh, I, I don't know. I just Boston always gets portrayed as, uh, as as what we are, as what we actually are. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's the thing that's upsetting. Like, you know, we haven't had a championship team since two thousand eight. It's it's been you know, it, it's been hell. It's been hell on earth, man. Uh, we've had I think we had one year or a few years where all of our teams were in dead last place. Uh. And and we're just now, just now, even though we still don't really have much playoff or any playoff talk to get into, we're just now starting to cl- climb out of this uh, this deep, deep hole. Um, I don't know. When are they going to start making movies about Detroit sports fans? That's all I'm saying. What, uh, you know, I, I let's forget 80 for Brady. Let's get a Lions uh, fan movie going here. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's have a fans of the Pistons kidnap. Uh, Luca Dantich or something, you know. Uh, let's. Uh, oh, oh no, Keith doesn't like that. Well, okay. you're going to need maybe three or four people to carry him. Okay, yeah, he's a big boy. Uh, but yeah, no, that's just a little, just a little pop out, just a little complaint that I had about Boston sports fans and how they're always portrayed as these uh, war torn, long, I agree, long drought holding fans when they are just like they are the champions constantly. <laughs> So yeah, the well look, the Bruins went through a very long drought. The Red Sox, like you said, went through a really long drought. Yeah. Uh, the Patriots, uh, before Tom Brady came along, were good, but they were never good enough to. They were essentially the 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 NFL's version of the Utah Jazz, where they were constantly, yeah. but they were never good enough to win anything. So that look, you can say that they were suffering in three sports, but the Celtics have been the NBA signature franchise since the mid 1950s. So you, no matter what the Boston sports has always had something to hold on to for 99% of the people still living in Boston, that they've always had something to hold on to, even if it was just the Celtics. 
And if all you have to hold on to is a basketball franchise that at that point, at the time of the filming of the movie, had won 16 championships, I really don't want to hear your complaints. I look, I, I, I agree with you 100% on that. I like, it's no, um, shut up. We don't. Cleveland and, and Cleveland is kind of nauseating how they complain that they have it the worst. It's almost like this really sad contest between them and Detroit, which sports city uh, has had the worst luck. Uh, I, I really don't need to hear it from from a city that actually gets gifted championships on almost a yearly basis. It's right. uh, it's almost like they're mocking everybody else when they do it. Well, that is uh, that's that. That's going to conclude our Celtic Pride episode. Uh, we've got a, a big, big one coming up next week because we have another great guest. James Edwards is making his Bad Boys and Beyond return to help us cover the 2004 NBA draft. I'm sure he's going to wind up with the number one pick, and he's probably going to take launch Sean Livingston. Uh, it should be interesting to see what he does, but we will. Uh, not, not the not not the greatest draft class. Dwight, Dwight Howard should have made the NBA's all 75th anniversary team simply on the strength of him holding up the entire weight of that 2004 draft class by himself. Yeah, it, 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 it is. No one thinks of it as a bad draft class simply because he was in it. Yep, I totally agree with you. And uh, we will be back next week with that episode. We'll see you then.